G'day, I'm Derek Hanna. Welcome to the Reach Australia podcast. The vision of Reach Australia is to see thousands of healthy, evangelistic, multiplying churches across Australia that reach the lost. Uh, for this podcast, you have joined us for Serving by Different Church Sizes. This one, we're going to be joined by Mike Sams, who's going to talk about serving in a church, 75 to 125. Enjoy. Okay, so what we're going to do before we do anything else, I want you with, if you've got someone else in your team here, or you can just turn to uh, someone around you and um, welcome someone in on your team if they're, if they're just having to be by themselves, just have a chat for a few minutes about what are the challenges in the serve area for you, for you guys. Now, what, what I want you to do as you think about that, though, see if you can identify challenges specifically because of the size that you're at. Um, I'll put it out there that one of the challenges we have in conferences like this is that sometimes, as one who's uh, been with you in, in, this, in this size uh, previously, you come to a conference like this and you see all the shiny stuff and you're thinking, how do, I, how do I translate it? How do I process it? Because I'm here and I can't relate. We're going to try and relate today. And so I want you to think about what are the challenges to help us push into that. So have some discussions and then we'll come back together and see if we can see where we're, where we're kind of... Uh, add it in all of this, so go for it. I reckon we could go on and on, right, with the challenges. What I want to suggest to you, is what we're going to do um, uh, today, is we're going to be thinking about these things that we've heard and seeing how these, we address these by working on these things in a way that's scalable for us, start to be achievable and and uh, hopefully uh, we can chip away at being realistic in, in working on them. And so that's, that's, how we, that's what we're going to try and think about a little bit more uh, today. That's our objective. And the way I thought we'd do it um, is, oh, seeing it's a case study, what I, instead of just going through everything that happened at church, I thought what I'd do is share with you the first few years of... Um, uh, that was our reflection. Uh, the first few years of our church plant uh, in 2016 in Golden Grove. Um, the first few years, how did we address this as a, as a small, small church? And I'm going to do that not by telling you step by step, but by telling you about people and different people and what we learnt in the moments of serving areas with these different people. And some of them will be, that was really good, that worked really well, and some of them will be stories in which... Uh, we learnt some hard lessons and I learnt some hard lessons along the way and then hopefully you can not, ha not have to do those things as well. So that's what I thought we'd do and to share with you a bit of that story. So let me give you some context uh, of our church and then, um, and actually before we do that, the reason why we want to do this is because what I had up on the slide just before. We're really trying to think about where are we now? The now we're how that... Um, we are unashamedly want you to get sick of because so you live and breathe it, right? Where are we now as this kind of size church? And this here, that was good, but you need to be thinking about this even more and more in your church. Where are you now? What is going on? What are the challenges that are really happening in the serve area for you? And where do you want to go? And that's why I changed the title of this, uh, this session to Breaking the 75. We don't want to figure out where we are now so we can easily just be a church of whatever size you're at forever. Because we could probably totally change the seminar and just talk about with the people you've got how you can just keep it going. But that's not what we're on about, right? 
And so we're, we're actually thinking about where do we want to go? We want to we break whatever size we're at, and we, then we need to think a bit more practically on what that looks like on the ground for us. So, where were we at Grove in, um, in 2016? Well, just before 2016 uh, uh, when we planted, we, we, we started with a core team of about 35 adults, um, which was about 15 or so um, smaller than we'd hoped for a whole bunch of reasons that we don't need to talk about. But the reason we, we, we still wanted to go ahead with it and, and, and go forward was there was a really strong core of 15 or so people that were really switched on um, to ministry. And these guys could have run, like I said, we could have run church for quite a while with this group of people. So let me tell you about the first person I wanted to share uh, with you. His name was Jeff, and he was on the core team. And Jeff was absolute legend of a guy. And he and Jeff, um, what Jeff loved was figuring about how church would, would work. And so what we did before the church started, we spent ages and ages talking about what kind of church are we going to be? And we spent lots of time talking about what matters to us as a church. We talk about what's the way we're going to talk about church? Who, where are we going? And we landed really on two, two key um, biblical passages which shaped our vision. So we were going to be compelled by the love of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 14. And we were going to be other person-centred because of Mark 10, 45. The Son of Man came to, uh, uh, came to serve... And not, oh man, I've gone blank. How bad is that? And, and not to be served, but to give his life as a ransom for many. That is a shocker. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, a, that's a fail. So, but that idea that Jesus came to serve and, and his service gave us salvation shaped who we were as a church. And so when all our core meetings, all our times beforehand, we would talk about this and talk about this. And Jeff was totally on board. And we kept talking about what is it going to look like to serve in our church. And we do all these things. And, and then about three weeks or four weeks before the launch, Jeff asked to meet up with me. Great. We caught up with him. And we sat down for a coffee. And he said, I don't think we can plan. I think we have to stop. <laughs> I was a little like, that, that came from nowhere. What happened there was Jeff, thankfully, because he was so helpful for us, he was an engineer and he liked to see how things would work and how everything would take in place. What didn't we do in all of these early core meetings? We didn't talk about how Sundays was going to work because we'd already done that because we had a false start, uh, which, which I won't get into. Because we had a false start, we had everything in place. We wanted to establish our culture and we didn't talk about all the things that we needed to set up, who was going to serve here. We, we had all that in place. But Jeff, who was an engineer, didn't, didn't have that clear in his head and we were doing something he couldn't see because it hadn't started yet and he's thinking, this thing isn't going to even happen, which is reasonable for him. He wasn't to blame there. Who was to blame? Go and do it. Yeah, thanks, so. <laughs> It's good to get old friends to just tell you honest things, right? <laughs> it was my fault. Because what I didn't do, as we think about, um, as we think about these things, I, I was trying to help our team stir a heart and set the vision for serve and everything in church, but I didn't help, um, I didn't help people in the first steps of serving, bringing them on board. I didn't bring one of my key core people along with us. And that was a really great lesson very early on. And thankfully I said, oh, okay, 
Let's have a good conversation and let me fill in with you where we're at. Okay, that, that, I think, is a really important lesson for us, in, uh, particularly in smaller churches, is that when we've got the people that are keen and making sure that they're with us and we carry them with us and they know what's happening and that they're on board. So that was the first serve, serve lesson before we even started uh, that, that happened with Jeff. Okay, let me tell you about uh, my next uh, person who taught me lots of lessons, and this was Jack. So one of the things that happened uh, for us was when we planted, we planted with an MTSer, an apprentice. Now, if you had 30 people, this is a question I want you to answer in your head, first of all. If you have 30 people and you're trying to go to church and then you've got someone to come on board and you have to train them and invest in time in training them and you've got a small church and no one else to help, how do you feel? That's an important question for you to answer. Because I want to, I want to suggest to you one of the key things to think about is how do you allocate your time and energy when, you, when you're a small church that making it a priority to invest in other leaders is crucial at that point. Um, that is not something that happens all the time in small churches. Um, and I want to challenge you if you think that you don't have the time for that. Uh, lots and lots of churches can't do it. Uh, it's a little bit like the, the Hurdy argument about we're not doing well enough. And you know how he says, we're not doing well enough, but there's a church around the corner that is growing. And if they're growing, you're in the same context. Maybe you should think about how we can, how we can do things. I think that's the same with, in regards to training leaders and thinking into that space. Uh, is that it is, you, you can actually um, bring them on board for lots of reasons. So what happened with, with, with Jack is that... But, the, oh, a month or two before, whenever it was, we went to Multiply. And Multiply, there was a conference that uh, Geneva had for church planters. And we went to that conference, but we decided to not just go to the conference. What we did is we decided to make it our first kind of staff time away. And so we stayed away for an extra two days. And we went into the cave onto how is it going to work, this church? What do we want to achieve? And we were thinking, we were just thinking... Um, M's and purposes. You don't have to think in that way, but that's just the way we were doing it. And, and I said, Jack, Jack is a brilliant musician and gets how to lead musicians. And so, okay, you're going to take that responsibility. And then my coach in Geneva said, why don't you get your apprentice, if they've got a level of competence, to look after the serve area? Because in the first few months, he can't break your church, even if he doesn't get it right. Well, as it turned out, it was a masterstroke. Whether it was the right strategy or not, I have no idea, and others can argue with me it's not. But what was the masterstroke about? Jack and I had already... This isn't someone who's coming fresh and I didn't know. So Peter's questions um, were dealt with and was really confident about those. If they weren't dealt with, actually, I think it's right, Pete. I think that's a really good point. Um, but what if I, I changed the way I trained Jack in the two things he had responsibility for? So when it comes to... to the whole leading the platform up the front, which I gave him, not just music. Let's set the parameters now while we're away. Here are the things you're going to work on. We're going to meet about how you're going and I'm going to leave you to it and I'm going to give you the support you need, but that's your responsibility. But when it comes to trying to figure out how we're going to get people serving, you're the one who's ultimately responsible and I'm, and I'm going to work with you on trying to figure this one out. And that's how we went about trying to do it. What it did, it actually helped, it helped 
with our intentional recruitment strategy. It was me being intentionally how I was going to recruit Jack in actually what he was going to do and, and then how he would then uh, recruit others. It's not just go and get someone to do something, but think about the type of level of support and leadership you need and how you're going to communicate to them. So one of the problems we have is we just want to get people doing things. Is that, that right in small church? Because there's so many things that have to be done. And if we can just get that out of the way, we can go to the next thing. But if we can stop and think, what does the person that God is blessed to have in front of me, what do they need right at this moment that I can support them in? And it could be different in different roles. Maybe we can actually do more. So what I'm actually talking about, I don't know where it is in the slide, so let me just fly through. Here we go. This is something um, Scott Curtis shared on Foundations, is that you may have seen uh, situational leadership styles, all sorts of different ways you can talk about. This is just one, in which you can see there are different ways in which the leadership uh, and the serving relationship uh, looks. And so when it came to, um, when it came to uh, on the platform, it was pretty much we lived in style two for the whole time he was an apprentice. And actually, um, and, then, uh, and then actually he just took it on board. But when it came to ministry, um, oh sorry, the other way around. He, um, he, uh, he, he did everything and I just checked in when it came to uh, the, the platform and uh, all that area. But when it, came to, um, when it came to ministry and he didn't really know what he was doing, I was so much more involved in it and I was telling him, okay, this is what we're going to do, have you got it? And let's go and do it and let's see how you go and let's wrestle with it and let's see how we're going to figure it out. And that's just a practical example of how the relationships are different. And I want to suggest to you, when we're thinking about the people that got in front of us, we can, we can actually deploy them quicker if we think about what kind of level of communication do I need with them and, and how can they do that with others. All right. So we've got Jeff and Jack that have taught us some lessons. Um, now, let me, um, tell you, let me tell you about uh, Amanda. Um, Amanda and her husband became the first key people that were keen uh, on, on doing the church uh, plant with us. And that was fantastic uh, to get to know them. So what we did for months before we were um, planting is we'd have lunch with them every Tuesday. Um, they were nurses, so they had a, um, that beautiful uh, shift work, so we could, could do that. And in those times, we're just chatting and dreaming and planning. And Amanda said something that to this day is one of the dearest things to my heart. Man, I love doing spreadsheets. <laughs> so I said something like, I can't remember exactly, it's quite a while ago, and I said, would you like to do spreadsheets for the gospel? <laughs> um, Amanda loved admin. I wasn't thinking about having someone come on board at admin, Jack coming, uh, but she loved doing it and she'd never given the idea that she could do it for, for church, she was just getting in on board. And so we shifted, I said, would you, do you think you could organise me? And my wife laughed and said, good luck with that. And then we, we <laughs> talked about it. <laughs> um, and, and, uh, and what happened was, Amanda loved doing that. She got more and more keen on church, on, on church and getting involved. And as we're thinking about the areas to serve, there was one area that was still a big blockage for us with the people that we had. We could get Sundays happening and Jeff was fine, but I probably fudged a little bit how good we were going when it came to our kids program. We didn't really have heaps of people there, but because we built up over time, without any wisdom on my part, not because I, I know what I was doing, Amanda thought, well, 
the first few Sundays, I'm going to have a crack at making it happen. I don't love doing kids' ministry, um, but I'm going to make it happen. After those first few weeks, what happened was, <laughs> Amanda came back to me and said, I'm a little bit surprised because I loved it. So what do you do then? <laughs> right? You, you shift and you say, would you like, do you think you can ha- make time to manage that to happen? He said, I don't think I can. Uh, I said, well, what if, what if you didn't, could you shift your nursing stuff around? And it turned out that she decided that she could actually coordinate the kids program, but she didn't have deep theological training and didn't have the skills to put it in. And so on one level, I should have alarm bells ringing, right? To give someone that responsibility. So what should I do? What do you think you could do? That's a better question. Sorry? Get, get, so, yeah, you don't, she doesn't need to write anything. That's exactly right, yep. Yes, absolutely. Build in some training theologically. And actually, there's lots of great resources, which you all know that. Here's just about helping us think through intentionally how you bring people in. Um, and so what did, what did we learn... What did we, did we learn with Amanda? We, if you identify opportunities and needs and prioritise which ones there are, you can, ask, you can ask things of people in a way that you haven't before. I, didn't, I never thought in me thinking through all the different things I'd love to get people to do is to ask someone to look after some, some spreadsheets and be intentional about that. Didn't think that was needed, but actually we'll, we'll get to that in a moment. But it also meant that we had to prioritise. And this is the story where I made Amanda and my wife cry um, quite a lot, actually. Um, so what happened when we, when we um, planted? One of the ministries that they were running back at the church we went from was a music for minis group, a junior group, you know, music, all that kind of stuff. The problem was when we were leaving, uh, my wife and Amanda were running it and there was no one really to take it over from the church we were going at. And, we, and we, we, we tried to raise people up and it just wasn't going to quite happen that the people that were the next level just couldn't do it for whatever reasons. And so, so I, they said to me, I reckon we can keep running it. And I had to think, they're going to get really angry at me, but what do I do? And I, I, they, this time I said to them, I don't think we can run it and I'm going to ask you not to run it, even though it's a good thing. Uh, but I don't think we can do it. So the thing was, when you start a church or when, you, when you're trying to do a thing, if you've got split priorities, even if it's just a little bit, it was going to be hard in those initial phases and they're two of our most important resources early on. Um, that sounded... I don't talk about my wife usually as a resource, so don't get, let that get back to her. <laughs> um, but, but in regards to key people... Um, when we're starting, they, they were totally on board for it and then to have something that was going to significantly take away their time, we had to decide how we prioritise our opportunities and needs. And that was a hard thing to do. Um, there's other times when I didn't make the hard call and I regretted it, but I thought I'd just share that one with you because it was really personal. And sometimes when we're a small church, we're, we're scared to make the hard decision. Why are we, why are we scared to make the hard decision? loss and, and the pain when you don't have heaps of people and you probably don't think you're going to have someone, if they leave or it doesn't happen, that there's not many others and so you, that scares you, doesn't it? Uh, and so we've got, to, we've got to be clear on how we figure those priorities, and there's a lot more we could talk about this but we'll move on for the time being, thinking through those priorities, when do we have to make a call on a good thing 
for the sake of another thing that at this time we think is the bigger priority and we can't do both. So that was a significant lesson and it was a significant um, uh, reminder to me, which I didn't always keep, is sometimes make that hard call. So that was uh, Amanda. So we're building our, um, my favourite people. This was just a chance for me to remember people that I love that I haven't seen for ages. Joel. Joel. So Joel came to church. Um, he t- so Jack said he knew a, knew a young adult who was very keen to come along and he seemed really keen and he had a friend and his friend was going to come and I was a little bit cynical and we came and had and they came and caught up with us, had a coffee and he was in his third degree and he wasn't, or second degree and he wasn't really committing and his friend came and was, said he was really keen and this guy Joel came and, and we left this conversation about them coming to church and I thought there's no way he's going to turn up. And I'd already written him off. What happened three weeks into our church, Luke decided that he wasn't going to be part of the church and Joel was probably one of the most committed people that I've ever seen in the first three weeks of a church and I thought, well, I got that wrong. Um, and what happened with Joel, Joel, um, Joel just was, was going to a church previously in which the Bible teaching was so bad that... I could, I could give my worst ever talk and as long as I said Jesus died for you and he rose again and you need to trust in him, he would think it was the most amazing thing he's ever heard. And, and, and most times we did better than that, I reckon, the people that spoke. And so he was lapping it up. And so what, what do we do with that? Well, I met up with Joel each week and started to think, Where, where's this going to go? And Jack met up with him each week and was, and was chaining him and building up into resources with him. Now, it got, he, he ended up leading, uh, Jack got him to lead some of the bands instead of him leading the bands. And he did that. And then when Jack, led, uh, when Jack um, thought that he could do more, I, I suggested to him, why don't you actually do some more things up the front and talk into these things? And he had a crack at that. Um, and, then, and then Jack would talk about, can you see what's happening? What did I just talk about and what have, what have I done with um, Jack, with Joel, in a small church. Both of us are speaking to him about the same things over the time, over and over, and because we both love spending time with him, and we did different things with him, but (laughs) there's a lot of other people, even though it's a small church, and we had invested heaps and heaps of time with him, that one of us could have done that. And that was on me, because sometimes in ministry... When we see that person who's got great potential, we want to be the one to disciple and fellowship him. And to this day, we still, we still have contact. He texts me and see how he's going. And he's a chaplain in a, in a, uh, in a country region in South Australia now in, a, in this uh, local school, um, which is fantastic, doing some chaplaincy stuff. Um, but we did not prioritise our resources with Joel. Uh, and so there were other young adults that we could have spent more time with that we didn't. And what a bad mistake that was. So being intentional about, just because it's great to meet up with someone and to have fellowship uh, with them, maybe you can do it with more people if we're a little bit more intentional. And that's super, that's crucially important when you, you have limited time and you want to reach as many people as you can. That was, that was um, Joel. So we're just creating a picture now, what I want to do is I just want to stop talking about people for a moment and just highlight 
what's happened for our church and our leadership development in our church. So we, we ended up, because we, I think, because we were really focused on number one, very quickly, so within two years, I haven't got the numbers in my head, say it was somewhere around 80, we did crack, crack 100 one Sunday, but we're probably living around 80s after two years. Um, we had, I think, it was somewhere around 80 to 75% of people doing something that were part of our church, down here. And then we kind of had me, Jack, and Amanda up here. And we did actually want to have teams and create teams. We did have kind of team leaders, but I'm not going to put a name here. I'm going to call this team leader Fragile. Because what we did, we did something that was an issue that someone brought up there. We were examples of doing it badly, partly out of ignorance, I think, at the time. What we did, we really were sold. We had drunk the Kool-Aid on teams. Right? We literally were all in. We were totally convinced on wanting to get people serving and giving people opportunities, taking risks. We wanted people to have their teams and have people overseeing them, but, the, but it was fragile. We, we set people up to lead teams and they were very fragile because we did not equip them well enough to think through, hey, when you're organising these people, here are some key things. Uh, the, ministry, uh, the ministry map that um, if we haven't seen yet, because we did it in foundation, so we might not have seen it in the... You'll see it tomorrow probably. Um, or it's in the survey book as well. Um, we did not pay attention to, when you train people, what, what does it look like to lead others not just in the skills, and co but the, the core kind of leading things that you need. And so they were fragile. It basically depended upon whether the person, uh, whether the person was naturally kind of gifted in that and we kind of gave them just enough to, to, um, gave them just enough to, to make it okay. But they were fragile because as soon as people down here weren't getting on or there was an issue and they didn't have the skills, and we hadn't set it up, very quickly we'd have lots of teams that weren't really working well as teams, and everyone just did what they wanted. Um, and so we, we created a little bit of a, um, a, a problem for ourselves that looked really good on paper because we didn't pay attention to that little thing. Um, so what, where does that fit in there? What's the issue for us there? So good. Yeah, it's supporting those in ministry roles so, and, and it's supporting those um, with what they need in the role. So sometimes we can think we just get along and have a chat with them and be encouraging and supporting. Uh, that's so good, it's good discipleship to get alongside people but the challenge, is, the challenge is are we actually helping them have the tools to deal with conflict, to deal with moving the team forward, to actually help the team do, can they do a simple now where how? That's not hard to teach, to show someone, hey, when you get with your team, do you know what you want them to, where, to, where you want them to go? When you're talking with the kids, when we teach the kids today, the main point is we want them to see that Jesus uh, came to serve and he gave his life as a ransom. If the kids go away knowing that today, we've achieved our goal. What are the things we're going to do? How are we going to go about that? Do you guys know what we're going to do today? Can you tell us? Giving the skills to that, to have communication, to organise. We didn't do anything like that. It was just totally dependent upon 
people's natural abilities or if they learnt it in their work life or in all sorts of other areas. Um, so, any questions? I'm going to get you guys to do an exercise in a moment, but I'm going to tell you about one of the, uh, one of the um, uh, well, I think it was the real blessings that we had in those first few years, is that we actually got to have another MTS to come on board. And his name, he had a great name, his name was Mike, <laughs> Michael. Um, and uh, Michael could not have been any more different to Jack. Um, he did not play music, he, he didn't, he wasn't as kind of um, uh, relaxed as Jack. He gave up being fairly high up in the defence force, which we were nearby, in, um, with an engineering role um, and a leadership role to, to do MTS. So what, what did we learn with Michael? Well, we had discovered this problem when he came on board. And I thought, well, why don't we come up, why don't we have a little project as part of your training and let's see if you can solve this problem for us. I said, it's, I gave it to him as a problem. I said, I didn't have a picture like that, but I talked to him about the problem. I didn't pipeline it out and everything. I said, we don't have people knowing what they're supposed to do and have, been cl have clarity and we don't have uh, people who are leading others. It's not working well. I want you to go away and figure out how we might try and solve it. Um, now, why would I do that with very little information other than that for Michael? Pardon? He can own it and he has the skills already to do that because of what I knew about him. If I did that to Jack, we'd still be here working it out of his face. If he was here, I'd say that, so don't worry. Um, because he, that wasn't his, the way he was wired, where it was for Michael. So understanding the people in front of you, and so he went away and the one thing I said is, um, on the um, Geneva website, there's a Building Leaders um, online program that you can do that, that may help you as a starting point. And so then what, did he, what he did through that, we went through all the ministries that we have and he wrote out a one-page responsibilities and what it takes to be in the role and if you're a team leader, this is what it looks like as a starting point. And he did that for the first three months of his MTS and put it together. We're a small church. We ended up having every role because he just spent a few months, just one page clarity and it was a game changer in, the, in that early phase because we actually were able to be clearer with people and that was really helpful. Um, and so he did that. But then he also said, you guys, you guys could possibly do better uh, with the way you figure out what your needs are. And, uh, and so he said, what if we think about can I have a go at trying to put together working out where we want people to serve? And I said, okay, do you want me to help? Do you want anything? That, well, if you're happy for me to have a crack at it, I'll have a crack at it and then I'll show you and Amanda what I'm thinking. And so what he did was, he did something that I have stolen unashamedly and shared with some of you. He, he, what he, he put together was a, um, a, a spreadsheet which was very helpful, kind of. <laughs> and I'll, I'll explain that. So what he did was, he went, John Smith's really busy in this church, he, he's a good dude. Um, uh, what he did was, he went through everything that happened in church and, and he thought about it in the way that we were structured and so we kind of got the circles, the leadership pipeline area 
and he identified who's serving where and what, and what needs that we have. And then he thought, well, what if we highlight what, um, where we'd like people to be? And what if when we've got someone we'd like to ask to serve in that area, we put their name in where they're highlighted? Could we do that? Even though we're, uh, now at this point, you know, 80-odd people. Would that, would that work? And then what if we actually didn't just make this up randomly, but we thought about where we want to go, what is the difference we're trying to make, and make the decisions based on that? And so we thought about, well, what's the minimum thing we need to do to have service leading happening? And we kind of thought, we kind of want to land at four, having four service leaders that we can know that that'll be something that'll be good and consistent and rely on. But it'd be great, it's a desire, it's not essential, if we had six and we currently got five. So when he did that, can I share that? What does that tell us in regards to serve when you're a small church? What does it tell us about our service leaders in regards to it happening and everything else? That takes... We don't need to spend our time focusing on that. We can move on to the other things because there's lots of other things in church, right? And so if we do that across the board, that's just the little snapshot of it. It's not the actual spreadsheet. Um, it becomes very helpful because if we're thinking ecosystems, what are we thinking? We're thinking about how everything depends upon everything else and have we stacked the deck somewhere? Because um, when you're a small church and you, you, you set it up like this, if you've got a team leader who's actually a really good recruiter, that's where all your people are. But it might not be where you need it, need your people, you see? And so that was a very, very helpful um, way for us to see where we were at and we discovered a few things. We discovered, if I moved it along to mission, one of the reasons we struggled, we had, a, we had a time when we weren't really focusing on mission like we started, is because we couldn't get people to actually take more responsibility in mission formally in our church. Why couldn't we? Because all the people that could potentially do that were wrapped up in doing other high-level things in church, like other, teach, other heavy load things. So now what do we need to do? What do you reckon we need to do? We've got to reprioritize. We've got to go back and think about do we need to make the music the music for Mini's call and, and redeploy? Because actually mission's really important. If we have one less community group and we redeploy that because those two would love to run life course and they've got the skills and with a bit of training they could, one less community group is not going to break the church and it's not saying that we don't think getting deep in the word is not important if we try and still have everyone in it and then build up more community groups later. And so that helped us really see where our blind spots were. Now, what, what have we done there? Let me go back to the 10 uh, things. What was the problem? I'll go back to it. What was the problem with this? Yeah, we over-engineered it for our size. Yeah, absolutely. Because we just totally got into it, he was so keen and we ran with it. It was over-engineered. We did it for too much. But what we can take away from it is you don't need all of that, but you need that kind of tracking, whether you've got 30 people. Because if you've got 30 people, you really want to make sure you've got them uh, mobilised and doing really what's the best thing for them. And you can be more organic, and then you build it out. So it might be something that you just start with on a bit of paper, um, or that you build this up over time. Um, but if we're wanting to break and grow, we think into that, into that space. I would suggest that over-engineering is more helpful than not being intentional. And I think we, we learnt that this is one where that was a good thing.
So yeah, so that, that's, where, that's where we thought through uh, uh, the pro problem, problem of uh, uh, over-engineering, uh, building people into church. But it was very helpful as well. So, as these things we've been talking about, the other one was, it really help us, helped us track progress and make changes as needed. Because what can happen... What can happen if you just do it organically? Because we, we kind of swung the pendulum and decided not to go into the middle, <laughs> which we, we were really organic, and then we, when we got really structured, that was our problem. What, what's, uh, what's helpful about tracking progress and making changes as needed? Having that, how does it help you when you're a small church? Yeah, that's great timing as Tony walked in for a moment. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Spot on. Um, yep, and so what we're what we're um, what we're thinking about is how how can we be adaptable to the people in front of us to love them. Uh, now you can, you could think that's just way too structured and rigid for when, but actually, what's what's really helpful is thinking how can I mobilise people so that they are passionate for ministry. That when we talked all about uh, setting a the thing that Graham talked about how. You're not setting a vision for serve, you're setting a vision for the gospel and it's all about God and that's the thing that motivates people to serve. We, that was Christ's love compels us for us and that's about mission and that drove us in everything we did. That's shaping us and so then we want to have that fire going by continuing to build people up and giving them opportunities to serve and to grow in that. And so if we know what's happening, instead of it being anecdotal, we might have greater picture. Um, I, sometimes, because we're small, we can think we know what's going on at church because, oh, this happened and this happened. Or have you ever said to someone, oh, what's happening at church? Oh, yeah, we had five new people come. It was really great. And that is great. But if you don't stop and think, those five new people were um, my wife's family and they live interstate, it's not that great. It was wonderful to have them come and visit us. But in regards to bringing new people into church, that week we didn't have any potential new people. And so having an intentional way of doing that is important in an early, um, early phase uh, as well. Okay, how are we going for time before I get you to do something? Yeah, good. Let me tell you... Uh, another fail. Okay, let me tell you about Tim. So we got to um, Michael Tim. Uh, Tim was um, a good friend... He was on the core team way back in the beginning and what Tim basically ran um, SA Power <laughs> is he was high up and he came to church and he was, he was deep, he, he came from a, a reformed church, he was a pastor's kid. He was, he was um, yeah, I could almost be more reformed than me, kind of, you know, he was, he was absolutely on board theologically. We'd meet up and read the Bible from day one together. It was, we had a, uh, this was a, encouraging personal relationship in that sense of building one another up, um, which we all should have. He, he had that role for me as well and, uh, and me for him. And, and Tim was on the core team and had great wisdom into and how to make things happen. And his, and his main ministry on a Sunday, because he had a servant heart, can you guess what it was as a church plan? With a servant heart? <laughs> I wonder if you've ever done chairs, Chris. That's it, right? That's it. That's it. Uh, he did chairs. And he said, I love, I, I'm totally down with doing it, and he made that happen. Um, and he would continue to do that. 
And, and he would get involved and he'd talk and do, uh, do things amongst church. And what I never entertained the notion of, someone who was theologically reformed and thought through, I didn't think about how he could help me think through how we could um, build, build some structures that we needed that we were struggling in. Because uh, I, was, I, was I wasn't thinking um, about the fact that here's someone who likes to get alongside people um, and had skills that we wouldn't naturally necessarily think could help. Uh, he could, just with his eyes closed, with me talking to him, turn this into strong. And I don't think I really ever talked to him about it. It's working with people on first steps to serving... I had, I had blinkers on to thinking about how he could help serve at church. And, he, and I met up with him every week. And, and I, I, we didn't have that conversation until down the track and I kind of said to him, hey, do you know, it was the dumbest thing I've ever asked someone possibly. I said, Tim, do you, do you have skills in leading people? <laughs> and he's just looked at me like, you are the biggest goose in the world. Do you, have we not spoken? Uh, and, and so you get, get the point is that when we're wanting to build people up, understanding who they are and where their gifts and abilities lie, and maybe it, it, it provides avenues of how you can build your church, uh, uh, build um, up the people in your church uh, in ways that you haven't thought through. So Tim, um, uh, hopefully it will teach you that lesson as well to think through who are the people that are in front of you and how, uh, how, how can they uh, help you in that uh, place. Now... I got one. Actually, I'm going to tell you one. Uh, uh, actually, I'm going to tell you one more person, and I hope it doesn't embarrass him. But I'm going to embarrass him anyway. There's one more person, and he's in the room. <laughs> Sorry, uh, this person's in the room because one day at church, uh, a guy turned up, and he said, um, "I'm just here with my family. I was at a church. I used to be the pastor. I was a youth pastor there. We're not going to be there anymore. And we'd lo- just love to come." And I said, "Great." Why don't we have a coffee? Uh, and then I, I caught up with him and had coffee. And I said to him, would you like to read the Bible with me? I thought, as a pastor, I'd love to get to know him. I want to know how he... Uh, I'd love to know, you know, open up the Word with him. And that, I thought that would just be encouraging. And I don't know, Luke, if you can remember what you said to me when I asked you. Can you remember? No idea. That's nearly what you said. You said... I don't think anyone's ever particularly asked me ministry to read the Bible with me one-on-one. Now, isn't that astounding? Right? And, and that was, that was uh, a great moment because I asked Luke, I asked, asked Luke to read the Bible and it, it, as it turned out, I really liked him. <laughs> and he's here, so that's good. And, and I think he liked me to some extent. And so we got to know each other more and more and he didn't know what he was going to do. And then I went on long service leave and so I talked to uh, Paul Harrington and said, I wonder if Luke could actually look after the church for a while. Well, I could go on long service leave and turned out he'd, he'd love to. And he did that. And it was a great, great opportunity. And I, I was in a privilege. Sometimes you go on long service leave and you don't know who's going to come and someone's coming and you don't know. I got to know that I could trust Luke because we said, while we're reading together and he's thinking about ministry and all, his, all this stuff. And, and it was a great opportunity to... to uh, encourage him and build him up in this time and then as it turned out much to my surprise I left Grove way before I thought I would to come and work for Reach and Luke came on board and took on and is now still at the church that all happened because 
Um, I just asked him, would he like to read the Bible? <laughs> so what does that one tell? What does that one tell? Sorry for bringing that up. What, what, what does that one kind of just help us just get back to the very foundational things about what it is to, to um, get serve happening? Heart and vision. Absolutely, it's heart and vision. And at the heart of our heart and vision is the Word. And it's, it's Jesus and it's fellowship around the Word. And so all of those team meetings, all of those groups happening together, we want them to be driven by the Word in those moments. We don't want them to be functional things that make church happen. And uh, that, that privilege that we had uh, in that moment, that's the way we want our churches to be like. Now, what I want to get you to do an activity, but before we do that, I want to see if we can draw a distinction between, I think, two groups in the room. To, to, to have that kind of culture in our church, we've got churches that have been going for a while, maybe a long time, and we're, and we're, we're, we're under 100, and we've got church plants that are starting and forming. Um, what, what, what are the things that you need to pay attention to that are distinctive between both, to, to foster what we just talked about then, this sense of being focused on serving around the Word and fellowship and, uh, and uh, discipleship and building others up in that. What are the distinctions that you have for two... What's, if you're going to create cultures in your church that looks like that, what's at the very basic difference? So you've got... You've got to keep things the same, so what are you trying to do? You're trying to change a culture. So it's pretty obvious. If it's a newish thing, or it hasn't even started yet, what are you trying to do? Create, start, build from beginning, from scratch. Why is that distinction important? Very helpful that there's a different conversation that is had. Is that... You're wanting to try and challenge the status quo of where things are at because you think we want, we want to have a greater heat for uh, gospel work in this church. We want to have people on fire for serving because the gospel shapes us that in that direction and that's not where things are at. So the conversations you're having is, is around, we don't really have God's heart for service. How are you going to challenge that there? Now, if you go into a group that's trying to start something and saying, guys, we don't have a heart for service, that's not going to work, is it? What's the conversation if you're trying to start something? What is God's heart for service? How should we start something? Or how should we really, because we're in this beginning phase, how should we build it in a way that is shaped by the gospel, by our convictions? That was the position, that was the situation I was in and that's why we shaped it around 2 Corinthians 5 and Mark 10. Because we wanted it, we wanted to have a simple way of talking about it and we wanted it to be driven by mission and that mission spills out into being compelled into other things and we wanted Jesus to be front and centre and when it comes to service, having service actually drawing us back to how we're saved by Jesus made a lot of sense to us. So when you have your conversations at church, uh, at church with people and serving, how are you doing that challenging for them? Okay, now, 
what I want you to do, I want you to now, we've talked about challenges, I want you to go back and have a conversation with people around you, um, or you, you can do it yourself if, if there's, there's no one else there, and I want you to think through, let's go, actually, let's go back to this one. I want you to think through now, I'm going to put the 10 back up in a moment, I want, to think, want you to think through which of, the ten, which of those 10 things do you think need the most attention when you look at them and why? What, what are the issues? What, what's the current thing going on now? And I want you to say, where do you want to go in your, in your trip? And being realistic with your size. It would be great to have everything happening in service at church. And the point of uh, us breaking into our sizes is to us to get real with what's achievable and see if we can move the dial. Where do you want to go? with the gospel conviction and then what that looks like and then, and then maybe start to draw out some how and things. But if you, can, if you can spend most, if you even just spend time and you get stuck here, that's okay because this is not a do this now and that's the only time you've got to do it. This is the way that we, should, uh, we can think about things. Spend some time thinking about where, where are we at? Are we a church that needs to change our culture? I don't even know what the culture is. I don't think I've thought about it enough. Maybe you've got to take that step back and ask that question, not presume. We're starting something and I haven't given enough thought to what kind of church we're going to be because we've gone on and done stuff. Oh, I've got to go back and think through what are, the, what are our values, where is the gospel taking us in this place? Where, where are you now and where would you like to go? Spend some time thinking, back for the, uh, thinking on that for um, the next 15 or so minutes and then we're going to have a Q&A and I'm going to get a couple people up up. Uh, for you to grill about any of your questions uh, because you might be sick of me. So um, spend some time doing that and discussing that with each other for a bit. Well, we hope that was helpful for you in your church and your ministry. For more resources, head over to the Reach Australia website, reachaustralia.com.au for more resources on that and any other number of topics to help you in your church grow a healthy, evangelistic, multiplying church.